Hello, dear friends. This is Pastor Evangelist Robert Venable, and it's time for Let's Talk About Jesus right here on our website. We're so glad that you have joined us today. And if you are a repeat listener and you're back again, we welcome you. If you're a brand new listener, we welcome you today to this Bible study. We are covering a great subject because we're talking about seven hindrances to answered prayer. There is more than seven, but we want to highlight in particular these seven because they kind of overlap. And if we get these right, uh, we're going to find a breakthrough in, in our, in our lives and in our nation and in our world and in our families and in every circumstance and situation of life. Amen. Answered prayer is going to bring us good and God glory. I want to say that again. Answered prayer in the life of a believer is going to bring us good and God glory. Praise the Lord. And God's glory, by the way, should be the the chief reason for prayer. Our motive needs to be pure. I've often said it, I believe in divine healing. I've been healed of many things in my life. Cancer when I was a young child. Uh, Most recently a stroke a few years ago, a very serious stroke. And all along the way, so many things in my body. But I've often said it and I'll continue to say it. I do not want to be healed just so I can watch television without pain or just so I can fish without pain or just so I can walk without pain or or just so I can uh, fulfill some pleasure without some kind of disability on my part. Oh, yes, I do want that. I do desire that. But above that, I want to bring glory and honor to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Lord of my life. I want God to be glorified in these answers to prayer. Hallelujah. Praise God. I want to make sure that I don't let in my heart this this selfishness. That's our third uh, topic today. We've talked about sin hindering prayer. We've talked about idols in the heart hindering prayer. Today we're going to talk about selfishness hindering prayer. And once again, welcome to this Bible study today. If you have your Bibles, open them to James chapter 4 and verse 3. It says that 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 you have not because you ask not in the King James. You have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not. Because you ask amiss to consume it upon yourself. You ask amiss to consume it upon yourself. This is a very clear statement about how selfishness hinders prayer. Actually, it hinders a lot more than prayer. But since we're dealing with hindrances to prayer, this is a specific instance where we we have faith to believe God. We make God our source. We ask, but we do not receive. Friend, that's a hindrance to prayer. And the reason for it is not that, that we're asking, not asking Him, not believing Him for it, not standing on the Word, claiming the promise, having the proper confession. It's the wrong motive in 
prayer. I want to say this very loud and very clear. Not You don't have to turn the volume down. I just want you to get this today. You can pray for the right thing. I can pray for the right thing with the wrong motive. If I pray for someone to be healed so I can be known for my great faith or my gift of healing, then I'm praying for the right thing with the wrong motive. But if I pray for someone to be healed because I love them, have compassion upon them, and want to see them get better, and want to see God get the glory for the miracle. You know, the prayer of faith will save the sick, the Bible said, but the Lord raises them up. Hallelujah. Praise God. You can ask for the right thing with the wrong motive and still have your prayer hindered. And that's why the Bible said you have not because you ask not. Number one, you don't make God your source. You don't look to Him exclusively uh, uh, and, and you don't trust in Him. But faith alone is not enough. We need to check the motive in our heart. I want to read that from the the Amplified. It said, You ask God for something and do not receive it because you ask with wrong motives out of selfishness or with an unrighteous agenda so that when you get what you want, you may spend it on your hedonistic desires. Now, I want to, I want to talk about hedonism here a minute. It, it's something that has marked every culture of fallen man. Every single single culture, but is particularly predominant in our culture today. This hedonism means that it's the philosophy of life that personal pleasure, personal pleasure, is the chief end of all the all the reasons for living. I'm living for myself. I'm living. For the fulfillment of my own selfish desires, my own pleasures. That's what hedonism is all about. There was a cruise uh, not too long ago advertised on the radio and television called the Hedonism Cruise. It was just for people who want to drink and party uh, the whole trip. And Lord knows what else. I won't go into detail. It's the last kind of cruise that a, that a Christian should ever want to be on. I don't want to be on a boat called hedon, hedonism. Uh, I don't want to go on a cruise that is hedonistic. And I don't want to buy in today to a false doctrine that is creating and promoting hedonism in the lives of God's own people. Literally, selfishness. You know, the Bible said that perilous times would come because of what man would become in the last days. And it begins with lovers of their own self. But down the line it says they will love pleasure more than they will love God. You know, it's okay for the boat to be in the water. Boats were made to be in the water. Ships were made to sail the oceans. It's okay for a boat to be in the water. But if you get water in the boat, you'd better deal with it and deal with it uh, mercilessly and quickly. It's okay for the church to be in the world. In fact, Jesus prayed, Father, don't 
take them out of the world. Why? Because Jesus taught that we're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. We're God's luminaries. We're holding back what the enemy would do and will do when he that letteth is taken out of the way. But friend of mine, when the world gets in the church and the world gets into the heart and life of the believer, then we have a major, major issue. We live, not just preachers saying this, but, but the, the people who, who look at the culture, uh, call it a hedonistic and narcissistic culture. Narcissism is when someone, it's self-love. It's self-love. It's loving oneself. Now, I know it's said to love your neighbor as yourself. That means to treat your neighbor good and to do good unto him. But it doesn't mean to fall in love with yourself. Narcissism comes from the, the mythical legend of Narcissus, who said he was so handsome that one day he went to wash his face in a pool and he saw his reflection so clear in that pool that he fell in love with himself and pined away his life because he couldn't have himself. And that would explain a lot of things to me that we're seeing in our culture today. A friend of mine, we need a kingdom culture. We need to be counterculture. We need to be followers of God as dear children, literally imitators of God. That's what godliness is all about. Listen to this carefully. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. In other words, the, the antidote for selfishness is selflessness. And we never see that more clearly taught than what Jesus taught us in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 24 and verse 25. Said Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him, first prerequisite for following Christ, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me, but let him deny himself. Believe me, you can't go to, to this second uh, prerequisite, this second imperative for following Jesus. Unless we deny ourselves, we will never crucify our flesh literally deny ourself for the for the sake of 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 God being glorified in our life and God's will being done in our life for whosoever he's continued to teach that desires to save his life will lose it but whosoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. We're not just talking about becoming literal martyrs, being killed for the faith. We're talking about crucifying the flesh that we might truly become disciples of Jesus Christ. And that means dealing with selfishness. 
I like what Jonathan Edwards said about charity. When it says about charity in Scripture's divine agape love, charity seeketh not her own. And he said, and I quote, The doctrine of these words plainly is that the spirit of charity or Christian love is the opposite of a selfish spirit. The opposite of a selfish spirit. There's a poem I don't know who who wrote it to give the credit to. Um, I, I do. Well, anyway, and let me let me, I may I may say the wrong person, but but it's about a tea party, and it's about selfishness. It's comical, but it's so true to our flesh. It said I had a little tea party this afternoon at three. Twas very small, three guests in all. Just I, myself, and me. Myself ate up the sandwiches while I drank up the tea. Twas also I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. Friend of mine, as comical as that is, this is a very serious issue. Selfishness in the heart of a believer is defiance of the law of Christ. You know, the scripture said of Jesus, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Remember when Jesus said that he must be given to the hands of men? And Peter said, Lord, be it far from thee. Literally, he would be saying in the Aramaic, Lord, think of yourself and immediately when that 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 temptation to be selfish instead of selfless and i'm so glad jesus was selfless if he was selfish he would have never let them put him on that cross but he came to represent a different kingdom Hallelujah. And we need that kingdom culture in the heart of every child of God today and in the Christian church in particular. Remember Laodicea? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. We talked about it last week. Christ wanting into a church whose root sin was selfishness. Listen to their confession, their testimony. I'm rich increased with goods and have need of nothing. That was their self-assessment. But Jesus said unto them, You're poor, you're miserable, you're blind, and you're naked. Oh, friend of mine. And then he told them to be zealous and repent of that selfishness. You see, he gave to his disciples a law of love higher than that of the Old Testament. It's no longer thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It is now love one another as I have loved you. His birth in Bethlehem, his toiling youth, his life of constant self-surrender. Remember in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. His sacrifice on the cross, His privation, His ministry of benevolence and unceasing blessing, His death 
once again of voluntary shame and agony, all these have lifted up a flaming protest against the selfishness of man. Protest that makes it mockery and blasphemy for any man or woman to call themselves the follower of the Lamb who are living for gain, aggrandizement, or just for personal pleasure, for hedonistic pleasure. That's why we're not seeing the breakthrough, the revival that we need to see in America. We've got a gospel in America that that is 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 really going to the nations out of America. There's a false gospel that is not representative of this kingdom. It promotes selfishness. It tells you that serving God is going to make you rich beyond your wildest dreams. Uh, I'm not talking about becoming a monk and living in, in depriving ourselves of a, a nice home, a nice automobile. I'm talking about seeking the very exact same things, the same values, the same priorities as the culture around us. See, it's the water in the boat. It's one thing for the church to be in the world. Jesus said, Father, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. Amen. He warns us about the culture. And he says, be be careful, be forewarned, beware is the word he used, that Christ used to his followers. Beware lest thine heart be overcharged with surfeiting, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, that that day come upon you as a thief. For as a snare it shall come upon all the inhabitants of the earth. Friend of mine, Christ is coming soon. The tribulation period will fall upon this, this earth. The day of the Lord hasteneth. And it's so important in these last of the last days, in these perilous times, that we separate ourselves from the values of this world. The Bible said, Be not unequally yoked together the believer and the unbeliever. And it's not just about marriage or business contracts. This is talking about our value system as well. This is talking about our priorities as well. We're to be marching to the beat of an entirely different drummer. But when our values match that of the world, there was a preacher on television not too many years ago that said, if you, if you want your kids to follow Christ, buy them a Mercedes. And I thought, Lord, have mercy. Has it come to this? Has it come to this, that the only thing and the only reason that the cross has lost such value, that the only reason for following Jesus is a Mercedes or a Bentley or that big mansion on the hill? I believe God loves to bless His people. Amen. I really believe that God will bless us materially if we don't put those things above His kingdom. 
If we get rid of selfishness, God can trust us with things. But as long as selfishness is the rule of our life, God cannot trust us with things. Amen. And He cannot and will not, according to the book of James, answer prayer. Listen very carefully today. God's not asking us to live a life of, 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 to deprive ourselves of, of the good things that He wants to bless us with. But they that would be rich, that our whole reason for living and giving, see, it's the motive, not just the money that we give, <laughs> is, is to get gain for ourselves. That's what God wants to put his finger on so that he can answer our prayers. Hallelujah. So that there can be the breakthrough that is so very, very critically important in these last closing hours of the day. Beware, lest your heart, my heart, be overcharged with surfeiting, drunkenness, the cares of this life. Surfeiting, literally, is banqueting. It's just it's just overeating. It's gluttony. It's it's just you know friend of mine is Christians and I know we all have weight issues and sometimes it's metabolism and sometimes it's 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 our genetic propensity. I, I, I said about our family, I'm fighting the gene pool. If you get our family if you could, they're all in heaven, but if couple or three of us left in the venerable family to carry on the legacy here but if, when, if we had a family reunion when I was growing up it would look like a bunch of bowling pins <laughs> we're all short uh, short heavy people but friend of mine listen it wasn't just because of overeating it was because we're short if I was six foot one, I wouldn't have to lose a pound. I'd go get a Big Mac and chase it with a milkshake. But I'm five foot six, and so it shows on me when I carry a certain amount of weight. But we're living in a culture that is is an overindulgent culture. I remember when Cokes were five cents out of a machine. Of course, they were only six ounces. And today we get a 44-ounce thirst buster, <laughs> guaranteed to, to bust your thirst. Of course, we put too much ice in it, and we only get half that much. But I remember the Pepsi commercial. I'm, I'm dating myself here, but I remember the Pepsi commercial when they went to 10 ounces. Pepsi, Cola hits the spot, 10 full ounces. That's a lot. No, that's not a lot anymore. We're a people who are self-indulgent. Well, I used to drink water out of a water hose because I couldn't afford the Coke. <laughs> and it was only a nickel. I mean, it didn't mean I never got one, but I couldn't get one every day. But friend of mine, today, today, the Bible said in the last days, perilous times would come. For men shall be lovers of their own self. So he gave to his disciples to counteract this, the law of love. Love one another as I have loved you. That is what he's calling us to walk in. Is the kind of love that he 
loved with. And Paul writes of the best way to overcome selfishness. He said, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Throughout his ministry, he sought not his own profit, but to help others prepare for God's kingdom. Certainly, Christ's example of his sacrifice for us is the ultimate unselfish act. Since selfishness is seeking our own (laughs) lust and our own pleasure, regardless of its impact on others, it is sin. But it's a sin that can be overcome. We must. It's imperative to follow Jesus and to pray effectively. And oh, how we need the breakthrough. God wants to answer prayer, but we need to pray a selfless prayer. Instead of seeking the good of others and putting Christ first, we really, really many times put our own agenda forward. We did not say, not my will, but thine be done. Oh, friend, this will manifest true Christian love when we do. And the Bible said it suffers long. It suffers long and is kind and does not seek its own. Oh, the kind of love that Jesus brought was a kind of love that the world had never heard of and the world had never seen. Agape, divine love. There's different names for love. There's different kinds of love that we talk about. Uh, one of them is very good. It's a good love. It's it's the kind of love that, that family has, that a mother has for a child and a husband has for a wife and a brother and sister have for one another. And it's called philos. Philos in the Greek. And it's a good love, but it's it's not even, even at its best, it cannot compare with divine love. And there's another word, and it's eros, and it's talking about sexual desire and sexual pleasure, sensuality. And between a husband and wife, it's sanctified, and it's, it's a good thing. It comes from God, and it's a way of expressing love and intimacy in, in context of the marriage commitment, and it's sanctified. The marriage bed is undefiled. <laughs> Amen. But Eros has within it, built in it, many times a selfishness that we have to watch out for. We have to communicate love for one another, seeking to please one another and not just use another person to please oneself. Oh, Eros is is one of the translations for love, not even phileo or philos. You know, there's a a city called Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, (laughs) and it comes from Phelos, and it was called the city of brotherly love. Uh, It doesn't represent, no city represents that anymore, but the Christian community should be that. And that's why to the church of Philadelphia, there was such commendation from the Lord. He said, because you've kept the word of my patience, I'm going to keep you from the hour of temptation that's come to try all the inhabitants 
of the earth. I think it's important to recognize that selflessness means God can trust us with things and the things won't take us away from Him and won't cause us to fall in love with the world instead of falling in love with Jesus Christ today. Too many people are afraid they're going to give up something if they walk in selflessness. You know what Jesus said? He said it's better to give than it is to receive. It's better to give. There's more fulfillment in giving than there is in getting. An old friend of mine, God wants to bless us. I believe He wants to bless us. I believe He delights in blessing us, but not to cause us to love the world, to accept and adopt its values into our lives. And the best way to get God's blessing materially is to become selfless and not to love the world, but to love God supremely and to put His kingdom first. For if we seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, He said all these things that the Gentiles seek, which is all those outside the kingdom. It's not just us, who we who are not Jews after the flesh. It's talking about really all those outside the kingdom of God. They go after only the things of this world. They know nothing of this kingdom culture that Christ is calling us to, that God is calling us to. And if we get rid of selfishness and hidden agendas and we're totally honest with God, we're going to pray. God is going to hear. And God is going to answer. Because we're praying for someone's good, even our own good and His glory. But we're doing it with a selfless, unselfish attitude and heart and all friend we're going to see the floodgates of heaven I just keep repeating that but God wants to open those floodgates in answered prayer in miracles in a mighty move of the Holy Spirit if my people which are called by my name humble themselves and pray and listen turn from their wicked way I will hear from heaven I will heal their land and if you don't know Jesus today run to him don't run from him confess your sin repent be reconciled to God he supplied the blood you apply the blood today and you will be saved. Come back next week and let's talk about Jesus. Jesus.